Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is the 40 and 20 podcast with your hosts, Andrew and my good friend Everett. Here we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, it's Sunday. It is Sunday. Okay. Sunday early evening. Early evening. Yeah, early evening. Early for us. We usually record later than this. Yeah. Well, kids aren't even in bed yet. I feel like when we when we first sat down to record, the sun was still sort of sort of out. It's not anymore. But. I didn't wear sunglasses on the way over, but I also didn't have my headlights on. <laughs> Good. And, and yeah. that was that was legal. I know because yeah. if you were supposed to, you would have. Yeah. Well, hard to say. Yeah. That's a that's a maybe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. My kids had a piano recital today. So six years old, eight years old piano recital. It's it's exactly what you'd expect, but also really neat. I watched the video. I did not listen. There's a reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because it's a, it's a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing you haven't heard before. No. But no. it's pretty cool. I mean, it's cool to, to think, you know, here are these little people that I made that are now le- learning things. Yeah. And doing things and like produce, like creating things, creating little creators. Yeah. Content they, creators. They film YouTube videos on a regular basis. No, they don't. Are you serious? I mean, we don't publish them to YouTube, oh. but I'll like get my pick up my phone and be like, Betty's, you know, just a YouTube video about nothing. And she says, make sure to press the press the like button. No, smash that like button. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, this little this, this is. One. This is trouble. She knows what's up. Yeah. She's going to start doing those in packaging videos and she's going to get way more followers than we have. Yeah. And all possible. she's going to do is like see, like close things back up and just pull them out of a fucking box. <laughs> That's right. And she's going to make billions of bucks. Yeah. Uh, how, how are you? I'm good. I am worn out. I'm still on, I'm on the tail end of the project that I've been working on. Oh, I thought you were going to say you're on the tail end of a temper tantrum. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm like still coming down from the temper tantrum. I uh, I stormed back to Lowe's today to return a light fixture. I blew up a light fixture, and I was electrocuted today. So I had. I mean, you weren't electrocuted. You were shocked, perhaps. Is there a difference? Yeah, electrocuted it, it results in death. No, I, I think I think that's right. If you grab yeah. an electric eel, you're electrocuted. Our 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 still our yet to be introduced He's, guest is it, nodding his head in the affirmative. <laughs> no, because that's like saying a heart attack induces death. <clears throat> Okay, fair enough. I, so you were electrocuted, and I'm glad you're here. I got I got zapped. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll stick with that. So I got zapped today. I was furious. I I came like one more bad thing from throwing tools, light fixtures, all manner of shit in into the front yard, and then kicking it into the road today. It, it was a knife's edge of of temper tantrum but you're such an even killed guy so but i can see i can see the rage it's it's build up though that's the thing it's like i'm i'm really even keeled until i can't figure something out and and i mean like you i'm a serial tinkerer i take on projects i have no business doing and then i get mad when i can't do it so i like right there (laughs) we're, we're in the like i'm i'm doing something i have no business taking on and i'm mad i can't do it I'm like, well, fuck this. I can figure this out. And then and then I can't figure it out. And I can't figure it out. And I can't figure it out. I try everything that I can think of. I'm YouTubing. I can't figure it out. And then the tantrum gets bigger. Like the 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 rage just just builds and grows and builds. And then you get zapped. And that that was like my 
fuck all this. And I throw the light fixture back in the box. I storm back to Lowe's. And like, is there a problem with it? No. (laughs) (laughs) She gives me my credit back. I go get some different, I go get some canless recessed lights. I get back home. I plug them into the same, uh, to the the light, uh, the wiring, fire it up. And I'm like, fuck yeah, it works. So maybe the fixture was just broken. Yeah, it was clearly a fixture issue. But in the moment, I mean, because that's the problem. And I, and I was telling my four-year-old this. He wants to help. And I'm like, here's the danger with working with electricity. You can't see it. So you don't know where it's broken. Number two, I'm not good at it. So it's extra dangerous. <laughs> so he's he's out of the room. So anyway, I get these. <laughs> I, I get like, these. Dad, something's wrong with that. I get these recessed <laughs> lights. And I plug the first one in. I, I get it all wired. And it works. I'm like, yes, and I pick it up, and I didn't realize that I had stripped a little bit too much of the insulation off the wiring mm. to when I connected it. So they so some wires touch, and this thing fucking blows up. And so now you don't have a house because it burned down. No, just some sparks and a little, little, little electrical explosion right in front of me. And <clears throat> I, I, I coped with that well. I worked through that. Got a new light because I bought a pack of six. Throw that one out and wire the next one. It works. And now I, you're good. I, I wire them in sequence and they work. So I'm good. I Now I just have to start cutting holes in my ceiling. Yuck. No, no, no. Because that, that, they're canless. So I just have to cut the hole and like no. st- stuff them up in there and it's good. So I'm I'm really close, but I'm, I'm on the tail end of a really, really tantrum-y day. So, all that being said... I'm sorry. I'm not. That's how you learn. Well, are you okay then if we talk about watches? I think we should I think we should move on from me. Move on from my temper tantrums. Because we got something cool going on today, and I don't want to waste any more time on just you and me. I, I don't either. I want to I waste some time on this Orion Hellcat. Let's do that. So, if you guys uh, follow our Instagram, or if you follow our YouTube, you'll have seen today, the day we're publishing... Uh, Sunday, or the day we're recording, mm. excuse me, Sunday, uh, we published a YouTube video, which is a review of the Orion Hellcat. And those of you who were astute enough to read the title of the podcast you clicked on will also know that we're talking today to the maker of this fine Orion Hellcat, Nick Harris of Orion Watches. Whoop, whoop. Nick, how are you? I'm doing all right. I just heard how you guys are doing, but how are you guys doing? Again. <laughs> What? Say it again. You doing okay? I, I'm doing okay. All right, you're doing okay. We're we're doing okay. Andrew, yeah, Everett's doing better doing, than me, but I'm I'm here. Yeah, I've I've got yeah. some some Tillamore dew in front of me. I'm settling down. Right, yet a learning day. Yeah, and now yeah. he's having a whiskey day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a wrapping up or unwinding. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you know, just another day, another weekend. Uh. Nothing too eventful, you know. Worked on a uh, a watch, went for a walk. It was an old, as well, finishing up an old Ike pod that uh, had gotten, I guess, slammed into a countertop or dropped, and it got wet. And at some point, another watchmaker had kind of abused it, so it's kind of like triple threat of things to fix. <laughs> um, and what kind of watch? Kind of like that- an Ike pod designed by Mark Newsom. He designed the uh, Apple Watch. 
Oh, okay. I, kind of, I posted some of them on uh, one of my Instagrams. They're kind of they're really wacky looking. They kind of look like a flying saucer egg thing. Super busy, but um, yeah, it's been fun. It was like that Malcolm in the Middle episode where the dad gets Brian Cranston gets home and he goes to like replace the light bulb, but then he notices the drawer is broken. Then he goes to fix the drawer and he notices like his shelf is broken and it's like everything is broken. So right next finally, thing you know, he's he's partnering with sally struthers and curing <laughs> african starvation and the light bulb never gets changed <laughs> yeah. right. uh you, you know uh it's such uh it's such an interesting the, the the hobby turns into a profession turns into work uh mm-hmm. it's such an interesting uh because the thing you're doing to me sounds like uh a fun exciting project but i assume it's it's actually just work for you it's a little bit of both um i i definitely enjoy it but there are times when it, it is working it's like, I, I just want to take a break from this but i was like no you can't take a break you gotta get paid <laughs> so um but you know it is something i enjoy and uh you know i do love problem solving and i do love working with my hands so it's uh it's it is enjoyable at the end of the day and then when you you know, when you start with something and it is not working and it has all these issues and the jewels are shattered and it's rusty and then you, you know, put some love into it and it starts running and it's shining and it, you know, that's, a, that's super rewarding. And then sometimes the customer gets back and, they, and, it, and it means something extra special to them. It's, it's, it can be really great. So, um, you know, it's it's not too common that you get to turn a passion into a job. So I'd say I'm pretty lucky in that regard. You, you know, my job is is similar, right? I take uh, I take these people come to me and they say, "Hey, I've got this problem, and I have no clue how to fix it." And uh, I do all this nasty work. You know, as an attorney, everything we do is either adversarial or uh, just highly complicated, and, and the amount of times when I've done my job perfectly is so low. You, you know, I would say less than two or three percent of the time do I feel like I've done this exactly right all the way through because uh, it's so dynamic. But there's that satisfaction at the end of the day because every case resolves. Every case resolves mm-hmm. one way or the other. You know, you know, and more times than not, it resolves in a way where everybody sort of buys into the resolution, you know, meaning settlement, you know, 95% mm. of all lawsuits settle. Uh, but there's that satisfaction at the end of the day where it's like, I've taken this project and that was at seemingly impossible for the person who brought it to me. And for me, seemingly, you know, impossible. Days when I looked at this thing and I was like, this turd is never going to get polished. Uh, right. You put enough ketchup on it, though. <laughs> that's gross <laughs> so uh which is not to say that what i do is watchmaking and not and also not to say that it was my passion right uh uh that's different and i'm a little jealous of the fact that you get to spend your day uh working through your passion yeah well you know some some days it's uh you got to you got to take the jobs because uh, other days I really want to be like tinkering and, you know, playing around with exotic materials or crazy paints, but got to 
got service watches too. So before we get too deep into this, why don't you give us a brief introduction for those of our listeners who, for some reason or another, don't know who you are? Give us a, a, a quick rundown of where you came from, how you got there, and where you are. Sure. Um, I guess five years ago now, I got into watches as a hobby. Um, I was working on a winery, kind of jack of all trades, you know, working in the field, working in the cellar, working out at the bar. I just graduated college. So you, you know, spent your whole adult life doing degree. like awesome jobs. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had pretty good jobs. Okay. Okay. Sorry pretty to interrupt, but that's jobs. what um, I... So I was doing that yeah. um, and I figured I needed a new a new hobby and I'd inherited this uh, Omega Constellation and it was kind of broken. And I figured, hey, I'm pretty good with my hands. I can figure out how to fix this and... I started researching watch repair and I very quickly learned that it was pretty complicated and maybe a little out of my, uh, you know, range of skills. So, Particularly with that watch, right? Right. And I didn't want to mess up like a family heirloom. So right. I kind of put that to the side and started buying up the, uh, you know, old Seikos that were kind of broken and, just playing with them and figuring out how things worked. And that eventually led to Seiko modding. I started posting my progress with the Seiko mods online. People really liked them. And I started selling the Seiko mods. Uh, At that point, I decided to go back to school to get ready for graduate school for something science related. Um, You're you're a biology guy, right? Right, yeah, I'd gotten my bachelor's in biology, like a minor in chemistry, so tons of science all the time. Wait, what did I say? Said bio and chemistry. That's Sorry. what you said. If I say a word, okay. If I say something that doesn't make sense, just feel like Nick, that didn't make sense. Like, oh. <laughs> no, you'll fit in perfectly <laughs> here. Yeah, yeah, we'll just keep Sometimes rolling. Like, <laughs> drop a word or like switch a word, and I don't even notice. But anyway, you you um, know when I'm talking about watches, I oftentimes. Uh, I oftentimes switch bezel and crown and don't realize I've done it. So when I'm editing the episodes, I, I edit all the episodes. When I when I edit them, oftentimes I'll listen I'll listen back and I'm clearly talking about bezel but saying the word crown and Andrew doesn't correct me. We just well, I we feel just bad going. correcting you because it's such a frequent thing that I'm like I don't want to be just like your live fact checker sitting here next to you like fuck that one up. Yeah, that's the wrong word. Crown, so, that's so the wrong word. Crown, bezel, bezel, <laughs> crown. <laughs> so say whatever you want. Well, they'll, they'll figure it out at home. They you always do. You can say do. bruschetta, okay. bruschetta. You can say whatever the fuck you want here. Bruschetta. Oh, nice. It's definitely bruschetta, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Food service, you know. Uh, yeah, so the Seiko mods. Um, they started taking off uh, a new kind of online fashion company, Go and Behold. And uh, picked me up to, you know, sell some mods in their shop. And the mods got really popular, to, you know, say the least. And um, at that point in my life, I said, maybe I should check out watchmaking school. Because the prospects of watchmaking school, which was 
two years and a lot cheaper than like, you know, indefinite graduate school and whatever. A PhD in biology. Yeah. Or whatever, you know, it's just like, it sounded like, and you know, nonstop academia. Um, I was like, you know what? I'll just do watches. It's just two years. If it doesn't work out, go back to science. Not much time lost. Fall back um, on that old biology yeah, thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I just kind of dropped it all and went for it. And at that point, I decided, you know, maybe I should start making my own, having my own parts manufactured since I was depending on all these, uh, like, Seiko mod parts people. And it's kind of expensive. So I was starting to have uh, my own designs and crystals and stuff made for me. And I'm like, what if I went one step further and just had my entire, like, designed a watch and just had that made? And then that Like, how much harder could it be, on. right? Yeah. <laughs> so I just went all the way. But, um, you know, they want, you know, minimum order quantity of 500 pieces. And I had, like, no money to my name. And I was like... I got into watchmaking school. I was in Seattle across the country. It was crazy. It was a big hustle. And then, you know, it all, it all worked out. And then I moved across the country and to Seattle and I was staying in this Airbnb, shipping Orion ones out of this Airbnb while going to watchmaking school for like 10 hours a day. It was crazy. It was fun. And uh, yeah, graduated watchmaking school and just working on setting up shop. And so you're back in Philly now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How many classmates uh, are in watchmaking school with you? I'm imagining kind of cohorts, like group of less than kind of 20 at a time going through together. Is yeah, that accurate? So my class was kind of large at 10 people. Okay. Or my class started at 12 people and graduated with 10 and then um i feel like your class is also too kind of like the 2003 nba draft class right like <laughs> the we've got lebron and dwayne wade and uh you guys have like a a famous uh graduating class right we we did have pretty great chemistry with their class or I, that i don't think was very common for the school um i don't know, i i our class got along very well. We had a lot of really hard workers. Uh, a lot of people just really gave it, you know, 200%. And I had a lot of fun. Everyone had a lot of fun. Um, and there was a lot of devotion there that I don't think is common every year. But then again, uh, it's, you have to commit so much to watchmaking school. It's it's 50 hours a week. So that's like a full-time job. And, you know, you have to have money saved up. You have to be able to do like a full-time job where you're not getting paid for two years in Seattle, which is extremely expensive. It's um, Right, because there's no like federal student. You're not like uh, getting uh, federal aid, student aid, right? Uh, some, some people did. Uh, oh, interesting. But I was not eligible for that. So some people worked on top of it. Some people had aid. Some people didn't. Some people just took out loans. Some people had other sources of income or some people just saved up. Um, so, you know, people made it work. Everyone's story was a little different. How many of your classmates were selling a ready-to-go-to-market watch while they were also in watchmaking school? 
Uh, I don't think any of them. Okay. <laughs> just just had to put that one out there because that's that's a pretty impressive feat. You're like, oh, you know what? I think maybe I should go to watchmaking school and figure out how to do this. But also at the same time, I'm gonna do this. It it was a little it was a little insane. It, it was insane. Well, <laughs> it well, was uh, a lot of hours. I'm not gonna lie. Which. When people brag about doing like 60, 70, 80 hour work weeks. They're idiots. Yeah, that's not bragging. That's like, that's stupid. Hey, I hate having a social life and I don't like my family. (laughs) And it's like not healthy. There's nothing healthy about that. Yeah. It's just like you're taking out like a loan on your health and you're going to have to pay that back one day. Yeah, that's that's a future you problem though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's right though. Uh well, so how how many field standards? I know that the initial there was 20 of them at first, but I think you end up uh selling quite a few more than that. Is that is that accurate? Right. So I think there were about I think they did 150 field standards and then like 350 Orion ones. And then, how many Orion ones? Three fifty. Yeah. Okay. And then a bunch of selfs. Actually, not a bunch. Fewer than a hundred. What was it? I don't know. Fifty or seventy-five selfs. And the self was the same case, same mid case as the Orion one, right? Yeah, the Orion one, the field standard, and the self all shared the same case. Okay. The first field standards weren't they uh, a catalog case? Oh, those were Seiko mod. Okay. So those had the, like the SNKL something, something case. Sure, sure. And then that morphed into your custom case or uh, field standard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there were tons of the Seiko mod ones. Um, I've lost count, man. Right. There, there were a lot. <laughs> like I have like stacks of dials, like. So many dials from just like I just ripped those dials out of those cases. The only thing that was original was the mid case at the end of the day. The day because I'd swap out the crystals. Well, I guess I'd keep the movements on some of them. You know, the case and the movement. Everything else was different. Everything else is custom. And when did you make the move into sort of uh, what I would say uh, were like the bigger one-off customs? You know, I know you did that. the Japanese style finishing the Makane, Makune Gane? Mokume Gane. Mokume. Say it again. Mokume Gane. Mokume Gane. Mokume. Gane. Yeah, there you go. There. Um, that, those were, I guess those were kind of later in uh, getting closer to watchmaking school. Because um, I, my neighbor is a retired machinist, so he kind of showed me how to use his lathe and some of his machines. And that's when I was able to make some of those dials. Because um, that's actually but, that's actually utilizing, so it's like a Damascus-style uh, steel, right? With different compositions of steel. Yeah, some of them have, are like made from nickel or different, you know, nickel, coppers. Like, they're all sorts of different uh metals to get different patterns nowadays so that's um, not just buying something from jake from jake and and throwing it in a watch that's really I, I mean you can't find anything like that for less than 
many, many thousands of dollars. And yet you were able to. <laughs> that, that was a kind of a blunder on my point. Like, <laughs> I, I like just underselling. I was underselling a lot of my stuff just cause I, just cause I didn't know. And I just, uh, I guess I really just had no gauge of what I was doing. Um, you, you loved it. And, well, you and, and you're selling it. it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's hard for a no name. Right. To, to show up on scene and be like, hey, I'm doing this thing and I am worth every bit as much as everyone else who's already been on scene. So pay me the yeah. same. So, I mean, right. I, th- I think that that helped kind of, I, I think that's that was to your benefit in, in the long run to, though now looking back on it, you're like, oh, fuck, why did I yeah. do that? to i think that was a, that was a, an important stepping stone and getting to where you are now yeah, everyone, it did definitely help yeah. get stuff out there because everyone knows you now it, well i mean they where they ought to <laughs> if they don't they ought to know who you are the, i think that the orion brand has the recognition that that it deserves well and after after this podcast everybody will know because we get at least 700 people listen well, to every yeah. episode. Me and Everett will know <laughs> both of our moms and both of our wives. And they know people, man. This is it, Nick. You're blown up. Yeah. <laughs> blown up. What about the kids? Don't they get the yeah. Oh, yeah. The Not kids yet. will know, too. No, the kids have been wearing the Hellcat for three weeks. So. It's going to have some some weird, like, macaroni kind of, like, stuffed into oh, yeah. the knurling of the crown. But it's not a big deal. Don't that worry. stuff comes out. Yeah. Macaroni grip. <laughs> yeah. Macaroni crown. Yeah. Ooh. We're on to something bracelet. here. <laughs> we're disappointed you didn't have a bracelet, so we made you one. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> right. I like macaroni that. bracelet. Macaroni link. This is actually you, on, you're you're breaking open new ground for us here. You are on this. That's going to happen. Forty and twenty Brandon macaroni link bracelet. This is the it's the evolution of the beads of rice. Because I really Brains dig stretchy bracelets. <laughs> Noodles of elbow. <laughs> Spaghetti links. So you you design and start to make the Orion one uh, before and and as you're sort of entering watch school correct right um yeah i search for someone who can do cad and renderings and i find kyle rimmerchuk on he was recommended to me and i we actually get along great and i relay him my ideas and designs and uh and this is rym rim design yeah yeah so he's you know been with me from the beginning and he helps my ideas go from horrible drawings and just ideas into something on paper and into metal. And as our relationship has gotten closer, uh, you know, it's become much more back and forth and, you know, his feedback and ideas also are reflected in the design as well. And yeah, it's become a pretty good relationship we have. And so the question I have for you then is, what sort of evolutions in design take place? Uh, design and uh, I, I mean design sort of in the comprehensive, the holistic level. What sort of evolutions take place between the Orion One and the Calamity that you can lend to your experiences at Watch School? And maybe that question mm. is too broad. Uh, maybe it's too broad. Uh, but if you we we can narrow it down if if you have any initial thoughts on that 
Uh, well, just right away, I am. Um, I think kind of the finishing choices on it, um, with like the brush case and the straight, like the straight grain brushing across the case, and then the the polished edges, the bevels that get continued into the bracelet. Uh, that came from actually. I'm not gonna lie, my yeah, I was having trouble thinking of the bracelet design and my one professor, Lisa, she's like, Nick, just do the bevel around the edge of the bracelet. And I was like, oh, Lisa, that's brilliant. So Lisa actually gave me a, the idea for the, the bracelet. So shout out to Lisa. Hey, Lisa. Um, but um, yeah, the bevels on the case, the grain, it's kind of, because in a watchmaking, putting polished bevels on bridges and uh, main plates kind of with a frosted or grained, you know, everything else is pretty common. Sure. And it's this kind of restraint that gives those little bits of polish that really nice pop, you know, it's, it's cause too much polish can, it's like too much sugar, you know, it's like right. eating too much chocolate ice cream. So it's like, you have a little restraint and that pop kind of, it makes it nice. Um, so definitely stuff like that. Uh, you, you know, as we were preparing for this episode, we, we read a number of uh, interviews and uh, that you've done in the past and just sort of things mm-hmm. you've said uh, in the past. And, and there was a couple of comments. Both of them came from a monochrome, uh, monochrome.com, monochrome watches. Uh, interview that you did a number of years ago uh, and the the first one the first comment that you made and this was kind of why I asked this question but you suggested that uh, the things you learned before going to watch school that you had implemented in your watches the the watches by Nick watches and even the Orion one were really just the tip of the iceberg and that you, you know I, I assume it's like with any school you know you, you mm-hmm. just the amount of things you learn is totally inordinate to uh, it, 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 relative to the things you're going to employ on a day to day basis. But I, I guess I, what I'd like to know is, is sort of how does that information that you got change your business model, your your watch design, your implementation of elements into watches? Are are there any really obvious and really tangible? things that you have taken and in, and employed directly into watches obviously the the polishing is a great example um i think well on a hellcat and the ryan 2 which i'm totally reworking now probably as a result to things i've learned in watchmaking school um things like finishing quality of finishing it, kind of develop an eye for quality and what quality should look like at watchmaking school and you learn to discern and like decipher like crap, bad finish, low quality steel, high quality steel, high quality, you know, polish grain, flat grain. And like when something's been like grained with like a mushy soft wheel or a hard wheel or with like a lapping wheel. And and you learn to see all this stuff. um, Did you say a fapping wheel? Flapping wheel. Flapping? L-A-P-P. Oh. L. Okay. L-A-P-P. Yeah. That's a different, so, that's a that's different a, kind like, of wheel. Yeah. I was like, ah. <laughs> So Grand Seiko huh. uses lapping wheels. 
Um, and you may know everyone's so excited about Seiko's finishing, and that's how they get the very sharp edges and the very flat, nice uh, polish and grain. They use lapping wheel, which it's, it's a big flat disc, and it, it lets you get incredibly sharp edges, but it's also uh, very challenging uh, and you know technically hard to use. And the uh, the some of the watch refinishers, the Lapinist is the one I think about uh, immediately. I know uses big lapping wheels, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, and they get these just incredible results. Right. Yeah. So learning all about that in school has made much to I guess some of my manufacturers chagrin. Um, you know, it's I've had to push multiple times over to, you know, bump quality up to higher levels of standards because, uh, you know, I can't, I can't sell something if it's not something that, if it bothers me, I can't sell it. So there are lots of things that I have redone and a lot, a lot of the times it's stuff that people might not even notice. Um, but it's just like, it bothers me so I can't have it done. So Hellcat, Orion 2, these are things that are, you know, getting big boosts to like finishing level case finishing just across the board, just because they deserve it and they need it. And that's something I've definitely picked up at uh, watchmaking school. Well, since we're on the topic of the Hellcat, I, I'm going to, I'm going to dive into it. I don't care if you had other things you wanted to talk about. Um, <laughs> the, the finishing on... He meant me, not you, Nick. Yeah, he no, no, me. he doesn't care if oh. I have other things. Oh. I looked right oh, at Everett when I said that. Like that too. Okay, okay. Ooh. good. Ooh. We don't care, Nick. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, the, the finishing on the Hellcat is is just fucking phenomenal. It, it um, I've not Everett and I were, have talked about this now at least twice. I've not seen brushing like this before mm-hmm. ever and we can get back to that but what i most want to talk about is the buckle i knew that was coming because there are tons of brands out there who do a great watch mm-hmm. and there and we've are, seen a lot of them we, we've seen a lot and there are tons of brands out there who skip on the buckle they that's the corner they cut that's the the detail that they miss, and when when I first put this watch on, I the first thing that I noticed was how precise and how perfect this buckle is. And for me, Everett and I have talked Could about this a lot. Could you pop your pee a little? Bit I needed. Harder. I just needed to really emphasize the fact that this is this is get that filter out of the way and just get into it. Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you guys. <laughs> the the best buckle that I have seen. And for me, Everett and I have talked about this before. If you can get the little details right, that means that everything else also will be just right. Perfect, even. Was there a question there? And and well, so that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk <laughs> about the 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 effort, the thought that went into this little detail, the buckle, something that is so easily overlooked and so often overlooked. I want to hear your thoughts and and your efforts and your pain that went into creating this buckle that isn't just the right shape. It's not just the right size, 
but also has the same quality and caliber of finishing as the rest of the watch. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so with the calamity, um, I got really bothered with these chunky, big, stupid, chunky dive watches. And I've got very small wrists and I just, there's Same-sies. no good reason for there to be so many big chunky dive watches. And it becomes this crutch in dive watch design that people, the Mariana trench, the Mariana it trench watch accepted that like, Oh yeah, like dive watches are big and chunky and everyone just accepts the fact that they're big and chunky. And then in like kind of the micro brand world, it's like, oh yeah, everyone just uses catalog clasps and buckles. And it's just like kind of accepted that everyone just has these shitty buckles. <laughs> and I agree, the details are important. And I, I, I wanted to have a nice and want to have a nice buckle. So I said, Kyle, let's design, let's design a buckle. He's like, okay, I've, I've got a good idea of a buckle. I was thinking of a buckle for a little while. And he like whipped up a buckle. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, uh, can we add a couple little changes? Needs polished bevel, throw another logo on the bottom. He's like, oh yeah, that's good. And then he had come up with, um, you know, kind of how it tapers and uh, like conceals the strap. Like when you're wearing it, it, it yes. it's flush. Um, so, you know, it was originally designed to go with the Orion 2 because the Orion 2 is supposed to come out before the Hellcat, but then Orion 2 is going to, that got, it got, it's getting all completely reworked. So it's like, whatever, we've got this buckle. It's going to just be the Orion buckle. Going to use it for the Hellcat. Going to use it for everything. Um, and at the same time, I wanted, I was going through different factories and I, uh, you know, it's really expensive and time consuming to have a factory like prototype a case to check their quality. So I was checking out a new factory and I said, hey, make this buckle for me. Um, and they said, OK, we'll make this buckle for you. And they gave me a really high like quote for it. I'm like, that's really expensive for a buckle. And they're like, we don't do low quality stuff. I'm like, this better be a really nice buckle. And they're like, we only make the best. And then I said, okay, let's see this buckle. And then they're like, we're only going to make this buckle. If you agree to make like a watch with us afterwards. And I was like, if the buckle's good, I'll make a watch with you. And then they made that buckle and then they made that watch. Lo and behold, it's dope as hell. Yeah. This is, I mean, yeah. I can't say it's my favorite part of this watch because the Hellcat is it. it I, I I love every every single thing about it, but the the detail that I am most in love with, it's not your, it's not the Orion constellation on the back. It's not this color that is like this perfect like burnt coppery beautiful color it's this it's this buckle it is the most perfect buckle that you're i've a simple ever worn man, andrew you're a simple it's the man. most perfect buckle i've ever worn on a leather strap yeah. and you know never mind that your logo was also on the inside of leather strap this is just uh, it's this buckle man you, you know i think that it exemplifies yeah. i think that it exemplifies the overall quality and and, and it maybe we're gushing a little bit here and so hopefully that's that's okay with you uh but uh, it does it does exemplify something bigger which is to say 
the the finishing on this is really something different. And I'm hoping maybe we can talk a little bit about the nitty gritty of why some companies struggle. You know, very good companies with very cool watches uh, still tend to struggle a little bit with finishing. And, and and I don't know that they struggle necessarily because I I, I don't suspect that they would feel that. Uh, but you, this is something different, and and, and I, I think you, I think you would agree with that statement. Can you tell, talk a little bit about why the finishing on this is better? Because Andrew and I are kind of at a loss when we don't know. I don't even know what's better about why it. Why is Man. it better? But it's definitely better. Why? What's happening here? <laughs> I, well, I think that's the thing, um, and that's part of why I went to watchmaking school. Is that, uh, and that's why people. That's why there are people whose jobs it is are to be just a middleman for like a brand owner and a factory. And so they just communicate to the factory and get quality. And they're called like vendors or suppliers and they speak to factories because so many people don't know how to communicate a level of quality. And there are certain keywords manufacturers are looking for. Um, and then at the same time, manufacturers, some of them are also trying to, save money and do things as cheaply as possible. So um, I don't know. It's a, it's a lot of trial and error. Uh, you, you learn stuff along the way. Uh, you, I developed watchmaker vision. So I know what bullshit finishing looks like. And then I've had a lot of bad vendors and bad manufacturers before. And then you learn what to say, what not to say. And, um, you know, a little bit of luck and a, a bit of experience and you end up with someone who can make something that you approve of. And does that come down to the method of finishing? Is this this lapping wheel that yes. we're talking about? And So uh, my, this, I, this uh, might not be lapped, but yeah, it would be kind of method of finishing or some of it might be. Yeah, it's like most stuff when it's mass produced, it's uh, stamped and then it kind of gets down to the quality of stamped and then how it's cleaned up afterwards. So it might be kind of milled afterwards. And then after it's milled, it'll be touched up on, you know, certain wheels and then those types of wheels uh, and then the operator's skill mm -hmm. uh, and technique will dictate the level of finish. So if you have... So people who, who don't want to pay a lot, they're going to obviously get people who are not trained as well. They're going to get older machines. They're going to get lower quality machines and so forth and so on, you know? And so what is the characteristic? I mean, so the was the Hellcat at one point intended to be blasted? Uh, it, there are two case finishes. So oh. I'm wearing one right now that is blasted. I see. And um, show us a black one is blessing is a little different okay so you can see like the, sure. the flat of the bezel M more of polished. a field watch type finish yeah. yeah and then it's got the same polished and everybody bezel. at home is jealous because they can't see this i but can see it and i love it fuck them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well uh, so so yeah. what is it? so in terms of brushing right i, I think blasting <laughs> is probably r relatively simple to do uh, but in terms of brushing, what are the actual characteristics of brushing that make it better? Because when I when I compare this to say, uh, you, you know, a, a similarly priced Casio or uh, mm -hmm. not a similarly priced, but a similarly specced Casio or perhaps an Orient even, 
the finishing on this is so much more pleasant, right? Luxurious or pleasant. I'm not sure what it is. It's more, you can just tell it's better. Uh, what is the characteristic of the brushing that pulls that out for me? Because I don't know if I can put my finger on it. Right, so something that might be just one thing, like right off the bat, like mentioned how things are stamped. Um, but like almost everybody stamps stuff, um, even Rolex does. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe independent watchmakers, uh, since their numbers are so small, they might CNC everything. But every almost everyone who does large production stamps stuff. And what happens when you stamp things, you have like a giant hydraulic press. And where the dye touches the metal, you get, um, you know, it compresses the metal. It converts the and grain. You like, and you, you'll get like, you get like deep pots, deep spots, um, like spots of high gravity if it was like a black hole or something. Sure. Um, and then when you go to like finish it, um, you have to get through all those spots or else it'll distort uh, the surface of the metal. Um, and if you're not trained, it, it kind of just might look mushy. It doesn't look flat or uniform. And it, it's more obvious if you flash it in strong light. And um, if you've got a uniform, good, high-quality finish, light will pass over it, like, in an instance. Like, when you say when someone says something's black polished, and you look at, like, the real high stuff, high horology stuff, it, like, you know, flashes on and off. That's like when it's ultra flat. So the same with like, like a cheap case, it might just be kind of stamped and then like they take it quickly to the brushing wheel mm -hmm. and they might not get all of like the stamp, like all the low spots out. Um, so what that does is it kind of makes the edges a little mushy or you might have some lines in it still and the grain still goes over it, but uh, the surface is distorted and it's not uniform. Um, or you could have like not good operator technique and they might kind of, you know, be a little fast and loose with it. And the grain isn't perfect. Yeah. And when you have grain that kind of mixes angles, uh, the overall grain can look straight, but, um, when the light catches it, it kind of, it also looks mushy again. And, and, and these are all things that, like your brain can't, put words to them unless they've been explicitly pointed out to you. Sure. You, you know, I didn't actually expect the answer to be that complicated. <laughs> I mean, I can keep going to no, no, different I, scenarios it's, as well. It, 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 <laughs> I had Andrew muted I've because been, he had gotten up. I didn't mean to mute you. Well, I, I went to go get a flashlight <laughs> to, to hit the, hit this case with like, several hundred lumens yeah but to I look for my it. flashlight you, you did move your it. flashlight um because I, I i wanted to put your if you, if you can hit it with light uh comment to 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 the test i i just used my iphone light and i i couldn't i couldn't see it, anything it, it just was so, brighter it's so intangible right the the quality is both totally apparent in person, I'm not sure it comes through in pictures. It's totally apparent and, and also super intangible. Uh, it, it's it's really it's really an incredible phenomenon. Uh, this is one of the coolest watches I think we've ever had in. 
So I, I, you know, we we do have a review of the watch uh, up on YouTube where we talk some about it. Obviously, we're not talking about it from the horse's mouth, uh, which we've got an opportunity to do today. So m- maybe maybe if we could hit on a couple of other points, you, you know, one I, I I suspect that you like a long lug, Nick. I I suspect that based on the Orion one, some of your other watches, I think you like a long extended lug. But here on the Hellcat, we don't mm-hmm. have that. We have a really short, compact. Um, uh, stubby, s- sort of not stubby, but but rounded almost at yeah. the end lug, w- which is different than I think the Orion One, which has this really pronounced, long, abrupt edge lug. Right. Talk to us a little bit about that. The design of this, where where did that come from? Why is it like this versus a longer lug? What what were you going for here with that? Um. Well. I kind of, I guess the, the Hellcat is kind of an, is more derivative of the Calamity than of the Orion one, I'd say. Um, Impressive. I mean, you can't be self-derivative. Uh, look, I want my watches to look like they're part of the same family and i think there are a lot of like that's very important for me and then existing in the micro brand space i feel like one of uh the failures of a lot of brands is that they're different models like you might not be able to tell that they're made by the same brand like sure. if you covered up the name you you'd have no idea so i try to keep like the aesthetic similar i think i have a calamity over here um yeah you guys want to see something top secret yeah, yeah. we want to see something top secret um so the Orion one, um, it was big and bold, and it was also really thick because it had the NH35 in it. Yeah. Um, and the thing with long lugs is when you make a uh, when you make a thin case with long lug, long lugs need downturn to mm-hmm. be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Nomos Tangente is a perfect example of a thin case. What is like eight millimeters thick or nine millimeters thick or something. Um, but it's got these long flat lugs and they exist in one plane and it's extremely uncomfortable because of that, unless you have like 6.5 or 6.75 inch wrist. Exactly. Um, and Speedmaster. Yeah. So it's like these watches, like if the lugs are long and don't have downturn, they become uncomfortable. So as the watches get thinner, um, they do have downturn, but if the the lugs remain long and it it turns into a fulcrum, so mm-hmm. the Hellcat is like a uh, it's like a calamity, but without crown guards, um, and you can kind of see that. In, uh, sure, sure, yeah, we can see it. For you. Um, like, yeah, yeah, really, really so very similar. Try to keep similar. that profile there. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to keep that language there. Um, you know, I thought the, uh, the Orion one case, I thought, you know, it has a lot of like cool and interesting things going for it, but I think it's a little, um, I think there's, a, you know, could use some refinement. And I think uh, I finally have an opportunity to do that with the Hellcat Calamity and Orion too. And, you know, it just looks a little bloated, you know, it's big and bloaty. Yeah. And compare it to the, you know, the the Hellcat is like, look at that. Yeah, it's half again as thick, right? Also, yeah. the, the world you live in where you can just like turn around and like rummage through some shit 
Pull out a Calamity. <laughs> and an Orion 1, a Hellcat. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> we won't even say what it is. I won't. But just, just so everybody knows, this is, this is this thing we're looking at right now, which is top secret, really, really cool. We're going to yeah, have to talk about that again the... in uh, once we hit the record button again. Aha. Uh-huh. And if the, the uh, Hellcat was thin, it was oh. even thinner. Fantastic. Like 9.5 millimeters then. Not 9.5. Can we say what, what that is? Yeah, the Orion 2. Okay. Ooh. And is that sort of yeah. final prototype status or? No. Uh, the case is, and I'm just trying to show you the kind of the. It, yeah. Ooh. But the, the case finishing on this is even better than on uh, the Hellcat. And has that bracelet, is that, have you shared designs of that bracelet publicly? Uh, I shared kind of like an up close of like, whoa, look at this cool thing. But yeah. no, it's otherwise kind of a little. I mean, they know generally that it's going to be like a tombstone bracelet. Sure. But it, it needs a little work. But look, that's exciting. <sighs> that's exciting. Okay, one more thing on the Hellcat. And, and then we probably got to mm-hmm. move on because we're running short on time. So the case back, a uh, very similar case yeah. to uh, the Calamity, which is that curved. Uh, that curve. Yeah. How, how did how did you get how did you get to that? Was there a lot of work that went into that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's um, incredible. Ooh. Is that sapphire? Yeah. So the case back on the calamity is sapphire. Um, so the sapphire on the calamity is curved. Wait. As does well the as crystal like, itself curve? How? Yeah. Yeah. Holy so shit. Curved as well on the calamity, and it's uh, <sighs> for the calamity. The sapphire is more about comfort than for showing off the movement because the sapphire warms up like right. exactly to your body temperature and it feels like nothing is there where steel always kind of feels a little, a little clammy, but the sapphire, it makes the watch feel invisible. Um, and on the calamity, so this was a little bit of an, yeah. So this with a domed crystal too. Oh, cause you know, um, <clears throat> Um, but yeah, it is a little bit of a engineering feat on this one to get it to 200 meters water resistance with this style case back and the thinness, um, on the Hellcat, not so much because it's a fixed bezel and, um, a solid steel case back. <coughs> Excuse me. So I think, you know, the, uh, the Hellcat's actually 200 meters water resistant, um, the Hellcat but is is two hundred. I've read it listed yeah, at one hundred. Right, I'm just marketing it as one hundred. Uh-huh. Just I see, but it's actually uh, engineered to two hundred. So we've um, got we've got two more questions for you. This, this mm-hmm. is the most perfect dive sport. This could potentially beat the Sarb. The Sarb, yeah. Oh no, it does. Or sport, beat. sport. Uh, we've got a rubric. Yeah, we've got dress. a rubric uh, that we employ on watches occasionally, which is what Andrew's talking about. So the Sarb has for a long time been sort of the the leader of our 40 and 20 rating system. Uh-huh. It's uh, a good watch. And he's suggesting that this might this might take <laughs> over that top spot. So, um two two more questions. One, I want to ask you a little bit about pricing and, and we can be brief and I know watchmakers don't love to talk about pricing. Um but I think that the um Calamity 1400 1500 final pricing 1500. on that 1500. Yeah. Uh Hellcat 600 which is you, you know you make that jump to the calamity and it's it's sort of next level monta ish 
pricing, mm-hmm. Oak and Oscar type pricing. Yeah. Come back with the Hellcat toe, much more sort of Halios um, level. Where are we thinking with the Orion two? And I say we as if you were we're collaborating. We're collaborating here. We yeah, can right. probably we can probably bargain uh, you down to more into the like I don't it, know free. It'll be up around the calamity pricing. Okay. Uh, I'm kind of I'm pulling out all the the stops for, uh, you know, the quality. So the the case quality is going to be higher than the calamity. It's going to be just. Uh, it's it's going to be up there. It, it should when it's done. It should. I don't want to like shoot myself in the foot here, but it should be like top tier for micro brands. What are your um, biggest variable line items when it comes to that stuff? You know, how is it that you're able to have a six hundred dollar watch and a fifteen hundred dollar watch being marketed at the same time with our probably I'm guessing similar margins. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, what are the biggest variable line items? I, I mean, how is it? Uh, where do the where does the change come from? I, I assume your oh okay your margin is like the, the same, but but what is it that pushes that price where we have a o- over two times as much from watch to watch in the same in the same catalog? Uh, so just alone, like uh, the movement costs quite a bit. So. Um, like the 2892 or the Salita 300 that sure. is in the Calamity or the um, Orion 2, you know, that's a, that's a movement that costs, you know, that, that retails more than most micro brand watches retail. Sure. So that's an expensive movement. And then when you have to buy like a hundred, 200 of those, uh, that's, that's a pretty significant investment um, for the Orion 2 the bracelet is going to be incredibly expensive. Uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, every single link is going to have to be machined and it's, but it's going to be worth it. Um, yeah. yeah. I can tell you right now, just looking at it, if it's finished <clears throat> mm-hmm. to the same degree of the Hellcat, it's going to be worth it. So Andrew's got one more question for you. So ever talked about it a little bit earlier, you made a comment in an interview that watch collectors and watch creators are polar opposites. And that was the biggest shock to you in your horology, horology, however you want to say it. We say things how we want here. Journey. Good. Yeah. Noise. Yeah. <laughs> could you, uh, could you elaborate a little bit on that? Yes. I think what I, the question was like the monochroma mm-hmm. they asked what a big shock was and, or, well, basically, I said uh, that watchmakers <clears throat> are polar opposites from watch collectors. Yep, yep. Um, what I meant from that is uh, most watchmakers that I know are kind of, you know, they're kind of aloof and funny characters, um, oh. <laughs> and they're and they're not very they're not, they're not very taken by. Uh, they're not very taken by watches in the same way a collector might be. Um, Cause collectors can get neck beardy. <laughs> yeah. I guess you could, you, you know, well, they, they mean something different to collectors. And, yeah. But watch um, watchmakers can get neck beardy too. It's just different, right? Yeah. Um, well, that's their watch job. Watchmakers are extremely technical. Yeah. And it's their job. Um, I think <laughs> I might have a little bit more like in between because I have a little bit of 
passion driving me, but a lot of watchmakers, it's their job. And, um, you know, some of them you know, might work on a $500,000 watch or a $50,000 watch and they kind of just laugh at it and they think it's like funny or stupid. And it's just like, then it's like their job to have like customers breathing down their neck about this goofy, ugly watch. And, and they just like, don't care about it. And, you know, they sit there and they just work on watches all day and they enjoy working on their watches. And then they get like these guys freaking out about their watches rolling in. They just like, you know, they're just like here to fix their watch and they've got like some fancy guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, there's a huge dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Sure. I can and see I that. Think it's, uh, and I love it. The high-end race it. car mechanic who drives a Toyota Solara home. <laughs> that is yeah, barely yeah, I, running. Right. And, I, lots of my watchmaker friends don't even wear watches or don't really care about watches. You know, it's, it's I've had watchmaker friends tell me they think watches are a scam. It's, <laughs> you know. I believe it. I, I can dig that. I, I have one last question, though, before we... Because we're, we're running pretty pretty we're deep close we're into it dude i've got one last question how's the constellation doing it's doing well it's yeah. hanging out did, were, box. did you service it i did not oh, i uh, okay. ended up uh, having a local watchmaker service it um before i went to watchmaking school shucks i was and hoping to hear this kinda, like, really cool story i opened of, it up yeah oh oh I, and I looked at it and I was like, maybe I'll regulate this some more. And then I like poked around. Uh, this was at watchmaking school. And I was like, uh, maybe I won't regulate this. And then I closed it back up. Okay. Certainly at this stage. It was running pretty well. Certainly at this stage, you had the skill you would need to work on that watch though. Yeah. I've serviced uh, many vintage Omegas just like it. In fact, I have one on my bench right now. Very similar to it. Would you service your own constellation? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've serviced my own watches before. Oh, I'm just curious about the heirloom servicing. So. Yeah, it's kind of you know, I think it's gotten to the point where I don't think I would trust many other people <laughs> with my watches. I like that. Other things, Andrew, go. I have an embarrassing other thing. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> so you actually turned red. I did. All right. Bring I'm it. more red than my pop filter. Bring it. Uh, so my wife. Don't fucking blame your wife. No, no, no. So my no, wife. No, 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 no. Hang on. Stop. <laughs> my wife has this Marco Polo chat group with her close friends and we have this kind of circle of friends where with the girls yeah there's like 10 of us and we're all married and everyone's friends with each other and it's this it was cool when we didn't have kids it's less cool now that there's like fucking 25 people and we try to go places um anyway that's neither here nor there so anyway she is uh they have this marco polo group and they decided they wanted to uh, watch a trashy show together and Marco Polo while they were watching it and text each other about it and they started watching Love is Blind. You're just gonna... You're just gonna pin this straight on your wife. I, well, 
I, I'm going to pin the, the genesis on her. Okay. So I worked late the other night. I worked late every night this week. It kind of sucked. Uh, well, I mean, I get paid more money when I work late, but I worked late every night this week. So I come home late from work one night, and um, I, I walk through the door. She says, don't judge me. We're watching the show because we all decided we're going to watch this trashy show together, and it's called Love is Blind. And it's it's a Netflix show, and it I would liken it to The Bachelor in in the way of uh, quality of watching. But everybody's like segregated. I'll go into that. So the the whole premise is that all these folks volunteer for this experiment, and the 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 Lachey family like couple, sure Nick Marker, yeah Nick and his wife, I don't know her name. They're not kinda, Jessica Simpson. Whatever her fucking name is, man. I don't know. I'm embarrassed right now. You can see the redness. <laughs> so now get to the part where you <laughs> so, say you loved this show and you're going to recommend it to anyway, our Anyway, so they're a part of it. The the These people all volunteer for this experiment. They go into these pods. I'm air quoting pods. And it's these rooms <laughs> where they can't see the person. It's speed dating, but you can't see the person. And they go on these dates. And then they have to decide if they're going to propose to one of these other people or not. They, they propose... I got there after the proposals and I started watching the show and I'm digging it. I'm digging it for two reasons. Number one is it's a perfect background show where you do, you just do not give a shit about the people that are involved in it, but it's nice background noise. And number two, when you are engaged in it, I love judging these people. They suck. All of them. They're just, they just all <laughs> suck. But that's, so that's why I liken it to The Bachelor and that you watch it and you feel a little bit better about who you are as sure. a person. Sure. And the, the, just the way you behave as a human adult. And if you're looking for something to kind of pick you up and make you feel better about yourself as a human being and as a functioning adult in the, in the human adult world, check out love is blind on netflix it's a it's a it's a limited series so we're not going to have the same bachelor bachelorette uh franchise associated with it for now there's there's like 10 or so episodes aired at this point you can waste a lot of time and you can the nice thing about a show like that being on is you can play some games on your phone you can catch up on whatever it is that you do on your phone that you feel like you're behind on. Watch the new 40 and 20 review. You can watch the new 40 and 20 review. You can listen to one of our podcasts and you can just look at these people and judge them. But I, I'm embarrassed to say I've been enjoying watching it. <laughs> All right. HBO, HBO Go, uh, new series called The Outsider. I think Ooh, we're yes. through episode six now. This is a Stephen King adaptation. And it is... Ooh-hoo-hoo-hoo. That's my Andrew ooh-hoo-hoo's. Uh, uh, you do my ooh-hoo-hoo's. Yeah. Uh, phenomenal. Total. From the very, like 10 minutes in, I looked at my wife and I was like, holy shit, this is compelling. Uh, they rolled the story out. I think episode three, four, it gets a little slow. I think I looked at her and said, it kind of feels like we're doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, and so there was an element of that. But they then they they come back and they inject some new information. And this thing, this thing is the you know, season one true detective of Ooh. 2020. Ooh, hoo, hoo. Uh, totally, 
totally phenomenal, creepy, uh, compelling, not scary. People, I think people see Stephen King and they think, oh, this is going to be scary. It's scary, but not in the cheap cinematic. Thriller. It's it's thrilling and creepy. Like, like there's this scene that happened, I think, in episode five. Uh, that rolls out in, in over the course of like three scenes. And like the more I sort of thought back to what happened, the creepier it got. Like it wasn't it wasn't that creepy the way they presented it. But then as they sort of get back into it, it's like, ooh, and, and then, ooh, you know, like just really well done. The actors are phenomenal. Uh, the pace on it is as good as any series I've seen in many, many years. Uh, pace, plot rollout, acting, bubbing, it's in front for me for 2020 and probably 2019 as well. Totally amazing. The Outsider, HBO, don't miss it. Can I tease next week's other things from Andrew? Yeah, please. October Faction. Ooh, Okay, that's a teaser. That's it. That's the tease. Other things, Nick, do you got something? Uh, have you guys recommended Witcher yet? Am I allowed to talk about you that? You can talk about Witcher all you want. <laughs> yeah, we, I think we've okay. talked about it a little bit, but let's, let's hear it. it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't know. I um, just Witcher, Netflix. Uh, it's got big, goofy hair on uh, Henry Cavill. Lots of yeah, hair. I, uh, yeah. Lots of hair. I don't know. I didn't play the games or read the books, but I had lots of friends. It's kind of like the Rolex Submariner. Everyone tells you how great it is. And then, so I watched the show and I don't know. It's, it's campy. It's fun. It's a little campy, but you kind of get used to it. And then, uh, and then you get really into it and then you watch it three times. And then, uh, and then you start singing that song. Right, going to your Witcher. <laughs> I, I felt like it got less campy as it, it as it yeah, progressed. the The first, like the pilot, was super campy, and I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to deal with this. That opening scene is like, yeah, right. What are we gonna? Like, what are we doing on. here? Let's. Yeah. You yeah. could do better, and then it but and then it, it kind of cleans up. I feel like it might. It's kind of like nintendo 64 games you know it's like your brain adapts to the graphics and it's like you know thinking back to goldeneye or like oh yeah totally like odd job and like jaw like and then you go back and play them now and how did i play this These why that so why bad. is that guy carrying a but two think, by four painted with gold yeah i think your brain like compensates <laughs> why is it that when i you press know? a button nothing happens <laughs> for like six seconds yeah, yeah. but, but and so, and so, one of the things that comes up when people talk about The Witcher is how hard it is to follow at first. Do you? F- oh yeah, I want to talk about that. Do you Ooh. feel uh, that that course corrected at some point? No, I had to watch. I watched it. And I was like, <laughs> nope. That was cool. But yeah, but what the th- fuck was going three times on? Through. And then I looked up a, a timeline, and I was like, Oh, that makes a lot more sense. And then I watched it again, and I didn't. I had like the timeline there, and I was like oh, they don't fucking age. And then my friend was like, look, there's King Fultist as a little kid. It's like, okay, yeah, that's a two-second little detail that I didn't really care about. But, um, but that changes, but the, it, changes the dynamic. Yeah, it, it's like a very small continuity detail. But it's tough because it's like nobody ages. Right. <laughs> and it's like, it's all jumping around. Well, but good. if you can, if you get a little timeline thing going, it's uh, it helps out timeline without spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, can you Google that? And will it will it 
be beneficial. Yeah, we'll need to figure out a way to to publish something a a, a Witcher a Witcher timeline uh, watch watch uh, primer. For those of you who aren't caught up on Stranger Things, there's a new trailer out. Oh, also there's a there's a trailer for Westworld. Oh God! Westworld season three trailer came out. So life's getting good. All right, an hour nine. Oh geez, or maybe even more than that. Uh, yeah, because we had to reset. So, uh, <laughs> so Nick, why don't you tell us tell us people real quick how to find you? Um, you can go to OrionWatch dot com, and that's just Orion Watch. I said one watch. Just, just the there's one only watch. one because it's the only one that matters. Because <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I don't have that many in inventory. Just, just one. Um, <laughs> or you can go to Instagram at Orion Watches. I think that's oh, my okay. handle. I don't even know anymore. Or yep, I'm pretty sure that's it. There's watches yeah, by Nick and and Orion watches, but Orion's where they find the Orion stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that's so where you can find me. Ship date on the Hellcat? Um, I was hoping for April, but it looks like. Uh, that is going to be pushed back due to coronavirus. Um, so I'm hoping spring, spring sometime, maybe late spring. It's hard to say. Yeah, late, late, late spring, spring shipping on the Hellcat, six hundred bucks. Find them at OrionWatch.com. Andrew, oh, yeah. anything you yeah, want? Yeah. Maybe at the conclusion of coronavirus, we can have you back, Nick, to talk about the coronavirus with respect to watches. Yeah, supply chain, and yes, and bracelets are. Bracelet prototypes in uh, two weeks. Ooh. In two weeks, yeah. I, I know you were talking about that. I'll have those. Y-Link. Oh. Very cool. All right. Any last thoughts, Andrew? No. All right. <laughs> Anything else, Nick? Thank you so much for having me, guys. Dude, thanks, thanks for coming. We love this. Thanks for joining us, man. So, and thank you for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20. Check us out on Instagram at 40 and 20. Check Nick out, OrionWatch.com and OrionWatches on Instagram. Check us out on Patreon.com. That's where we get all the support for the show. That's how we pay for hosting. That's how we pay for microphones. Patreon.com slash 40 and 20. Also, check out the Hellcat review that's on our YouTube channel right now. Don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye. Andrew has one job and he and he blew it. One job and every we're still episode. Still recording, so. Oh well.